Okay. This is, uh, I'm sure you know, but I'll just remind you, this is our last lesson in this series. I hate it. <laughs> and uh, I wish we could go on, but, but the church uh, always, next Monday, the church will be closed. It always closes on uh, the Monday after Easter, so we always have to finish before then. But uh, we'll take up another series next September, you can be assured, and, and uh, I'll continue to be writing those three or four page messages that we'll be sending you, so uh, we, will, we will be in touch, and uh, we will see you next September, if not before. So our lesson today is on evangelism, and I, I love to teach on that because uh, I teach, I think I teach on it a little bit different than, than other people, and hopefully will uh, appeal to you and, and move you to do something. Turnabout is fair play, right? Okay, evangelism. Um, quite often, evangelism is kind of like, well, I think that's for somebody else, you know, I don't, I, I don't get involved in that. Uh, my favorite story on that is the new minister who took over a church, and he was all fired up, you know, and so the first day he put a sign on his desk and it said win the world for Christ after six months at that church though he changed the sign to win some for Christ and after one year at that church he put up a new sign don't lose too many <laughs> and so evangelism is uh, something that a lot of people talk about but uh, very few people get involved in and you've heard the Great Commission many times, and typically they quote from uh, Matthew 28. I personally like Acts 1-8 as the key passage on evangelism and, uh, and Christ's command to his disciples, to the church, to us, to go out and evangelize. The disciples in Acts 1 are asking Jesus, you know, when are you going to set the kingdom up? That's what they were interested in. Uh, we want to get right into the good stuff. And Jesus uh, gives them the answer to what they really need to know, not what they want to know, but really what they need to know, which is the question they didn't ask, which was, what should we be doing until you set up the kingdom? So, Christ, you said you were coming back. What should we be doing until then? Uh, that's the important question for us now. We believe Jesus is coming back, but we need to be thinking, focused on what, what we should be doing in the meantime. And so Jesus... Uh, told them in Acts 1.8, commanded them there in Acts 1.8, he said, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. And the reason I see that as so important is the, the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life in evangelism. It's all about him. We are the, the agent the mediator that God uses, but he has chosen to bless us by using us, but he's given us his spirit <clears throat> to actually be uh, the, the power that we need to explain the gospel to people that he gives us the words, and then he also prepares the heart of the person who's listening in order that they might 
come to Christ. And so it's all about the, the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. And back before uh, the crucifixion, he had predicted this already. He told his disciples that uh, he was leaving them, but it was really going to be to their advantage because he was sending his helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he did, they would do greater works than they had seen him do. <coughs> so naturally, they're all thinking, how's that possible? You know, when they're reviewing all the miracles that Jesus had done, naturally, they're probably thinking, how are we going to do greater things when we see him do? Uh, and the answer uh, is right after this event in Acts 1. In Acts 2, the Spirit comes, and they're able to uh, go out in the street and preach in the Spirit, and 3,000 people believe in Christ. So just as Jesus said, when he left, there was 120 people there in Jerusalem, and now just in one day after they preached in the Spirit, 3,000. So... <clears throat> really an incredible event, and the key to it was the Holy Spirit within them working. So that's the key to evangelism, <clears throat> is that we step up in faith and allow God to speak through us. Uh, and there's, there should be no fear of rejection because it's all about what he's going to do. And if they do reject you, they're actually rejecting him and not you. All right? So we have a stewardship, and it's a formidable task, a little thing, you know, to change the world, because Jesus said, share it, you know, share it with the whole world. Uh, and uh, a few definitions that I've seen that are interesting, it's uh, one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, you know, obviously spiritual food. But the danger is that Instead of fishers of men, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But instead of fishers of men, what happens? We become keepers of the aquarium, you know. Uh, we just kind of maintain, you know, the status quo. and We never get out there and get involved in it. So a uh, few questions. Why should we share Christ? Why should we do evangelism? Thank you, Thank you Jeffrey. Why should we do evangelism? And uh, as we consult Scripture, you can see that it's a, it's a, a mandate from Christ. Uh, we're, we, we were commanded to do it. And then secondly, uh, we should have love for the lost. As we look at our fellow man and we see the great need that he has, uh, we should feel that, that love uh, for him. And Jesus, uh, you know, when he was uh, seeing uh, his subjects and the, and the people that were coming, uh, and the stories said he looked out at them, and he, to him he said, <clears throat> they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so, uh, obviously, sheep without a shepherd need guidance. They need help. And God has given us a stewardship to do just that. And then thirdly, it's a life-changing experience. So when we step out and we get involved in it, it's part of our spiritual growth. It really has an impact on us as well. And then lastly, it's who we are now in Christ. Jesus said in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, said, Jesus has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So there is a message of reconciliation between man and God, and he's committed that to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So that's who we are. And ambassadors go forth and and they do the will of the country or the, or the person that's sending them. And so we represent Christ. One of the greatest fears, you know, why do people not go out? 
Obviously, rejection is one of them. <coughs> but as I said, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting uh, the movement of the Spirit. They're rejecting God, really. Um, but statistics show, you know, even if you have to endure that rejection, statistics show that uh, the average person has to hear the gospel at least eight times before they'll actually respond to it. So that rejection's not always a bad thing. Uh, you may have heard it called uh, seed planting, and that's exactly what it is, and it's a wonderful thing to do that, to be involved in that, and realize when you share the gospel, even if they don't make any decision at that time or, or don't seem to be particularly interested, you still could possibly be part of the process and you don't know where down the line because of circumstances or other things that God's doing that that person is actually going to respond to somebody else and you've been part of the links in the chain to get him there. Uh, so very important uh, to, to be a part of that seed planting. Uh, another objection is, well, I don't know enough. You know, I just, I guess I ought to, but I really don't. So I'm kind of fear doing that. I'm afraid they're going to ask me some question I won't be able to answer. But remember, uh, the testimony, your testimony is the most important part. You remember the one of the greatest uh, gospel presentations is by the, the guy in John 9 who had been healed, who had been blind and he was healed. Remember his uh, testimony? I was blind, but now I see. That's pretty much it, isn't it? I didn't, I didn't used to know anything, but now I do. I, I didn't used to understand anything about Jesus, but now I do. And <clears throat> so what kind of uh, evangelism are we talking about? What do you have to do or what are you, what are you being commanded to do? Uh, there's three types of evangelism. One is proclamation evangelism, and that's, like you invite people to the big events, like you take somebody to a, a Billy Graham crusade, and they typically have entertainment and a speaker. So something like a church revival or a Billy Graham crusade that you take people to. We used to have a deal, uh, I think for about eight years in a row, we did a, a golf tournament. We'd have people come out and, and play golf, and then at the end of it, you know, we'd have these Christian speakers, and that, that worked great. I saw a lot of things happen in that. Uh, and this is biblical, too. In Acts 19, uh, Paul arranged one of these big events at the school of Tyrannius in Acts 19, uh, verse 9. Uh, and so Paul was involved in one of those. The second type of evangelism is called aggressive, or maybe you've heard it, confrontational. Uh, it's the one that we're most afraid of. And I confess I'm in that camp too, where you go out kind of on cold calls and you go to people wherever they are. It might be a mission trip. A lot of people go to uh, Cuba or India or someplace. Uh, that's that kind of aggressive. Or you go out knocking on doors or you, you know, people come up to you in the airport, uh, stuff like that. Uh, that's not for everybody. Uh, a lot of the speakers you hear will tell you that that is for everybody, but. It's my opinion that it's, that it's not. Some people are really good at that, and they have no fear at all, and they go out and they do a great job, and so I commend them. I've personally done that many, many, many times. I've never gotten comfortable with it. I do it and jump and step out in faith and do it, and it's always a good thing, and I recommend that you try it, that, that you do do it. 
but it's uh, one, probably one of the things that, that keeps people from doing it, you know, that, that builds that fear that we were talking about, is that kind of evangelism. Campus Crusade is famous for it. Uh, East West Ministries uh, does it, and they all do a terrific job, and they've had a great impact on the world. Uh, you can see that aggressive evangelism in uh, many stories like John chapter 4 and uh, Acts chapter 8. Remember in Acts chapter 8 when uh, Philip goes to the Ethiopian on the road, just goes out there, doesn't know the guy, but the Spirit moves him and he goes out there and he sees this guy reading from Scripture and he's got no idea what it's saying. And, and so he steps up and shares the gospel and said, would you like to receive Christ now? and be baptized, and the guy says, yeah, so boom, he goes right over and does it, and that's, that's what we're talking about, is you just share the gospel, and then you ask for a decision, so that's the uh, aggressive or confrontational evangelism. A third kind is relational, and this is the kind I really want to stress and emphasize, particularly with this group. Uh, this is something that we should all be involved in and all be active in relational uh, is, is really for all of us. It's developing trust in relationships. So you have relationships with friends and family and business or whatever. You know a lot of people and you have uh, relationships that you've had a long time or maybe you're developing a new one with somebody. And so you slowly bring them around to that trusting relationship where they're going to trust the things that you're saying and and uh, respect you in, in that relationship and be more likely to listen to what you say. Plus, part of relational evangelism is what you might call lifestyle evangelism. So this person knows you and, and sees the life that you lead, and it moves them to want to have that kind of straight and, and uh, carefree type life in, in the sense that, you you know, uh, the typical sin is very self-destructive, very stress-building. So if they see somebody uh, who's got, you know, that, that kind of life where they don't have all those kind of troubles and, and don't tell all the lies that lead to other lies and all the problems that develop, then they want that for themselves. They want, you know, that stress-free life as well. And so lifestyle evangelism, relational evangelism. Uh, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your behavior excellent so that on account of you and account of your good deeds, you may glorify God by bringing people to Christ, influencing people for Christ. And so uh, Tim Tebow, I, I read a, an article about, uh, he's a great example of this. I read an article by Peter King, and you know, he's a Sports Illustrated writer that everybody reads, especially online. And Peter King, uh, not being a Christian, uh, but he was totally impressed with Tim Tebow. He said, you know, how can, how can you not be impressed with this guy, even though I, I don't agree with what he says? He's the kindest and most polite interview I've ever done. And so that's what we're talking about, right? And so he, he moved that guy. He impressed that guy uh, just with his uh, the relationship that he built with him in the interview and his lifestyle. Relational evangelism also, 75% statistics prove that 75% of the people who come to Christ do it through relational evangelism. Now, 75%, that sounds like a lot to you, and the reason that's 
skewed a little bit. It's because that also involves, you know, when you're raising children and, and parents raise their children in that relationship and they take them to church and they share Christ and they bring them up in that kind of household. So naturally, you would expect the majority uh, to do that. But it's still an incredible number when you're thinking because uh, most of, again, when you think of evangelism, you think of the campus crusades and that aggressive confrontational evangelism. But relational is the number one thing, and it's what we should all, if, if there's just one thing we can walk out of here remembering, that would be it. I would hope you remember that, that uh, Christ expects you that in your relationships that he would be the center of, of all your friendships and all your relationship with your family and everything. It would be uh, all about him. And as I see people, we're all too often, uh, we kind of compartmentalize relationships. By that I mean, okay, I've got my golf buddies, I've got my card playing buddies, or I've got my drinking buddies, or I've got, and then I've got my group that I hang out with at church or do some kind of uh, volunteer work with and so you've got everybody compartmentalized like that right and uh and i think what christ is telling his disciples is no uh, everybody that you do whatever activity with i want to be involved in that relationship and so uh that that makes all the difference in the world if you see people if you see friends as someone that you can uh move that you can help that you can be an influence on for Christ, that's how you see them now. You don't see them, you know, like in business, you don't see them just as a customer or you don't see them just as a coworker or whatever. Uh, you now see them in a, in a spiritual sense and you want to have that uh, common bond with them that we can only have in Christ, okay? Uh, D.L. Moody said, uh, you know, which way is the best way? People always, well, what, what would you recommend? Which is the best way? Uh, a lady came up to him and said, well, I don't like the way you do it. And he says, uh, really? Well, how do you do it? She says, well, I, I don't. That's not for me. He said, then I like my way. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, any, you know, any way uh, that, that works for you, uh, the tools, you know, that you have at your disposal. There's, you've probably seen all those tracks, uh, and there's a, there's a bunch of them. Larry Moody's got one that's great uh, called, or excuse me, Larry Moyer. It's called uh, Good News, Bad News, and, and so everybody likes that. Everybody thinks that way, don't they? Uh, I, I saw a story about good news, bad news. The husband came home after a terrible day and all these horrible things that happened to him. So when he came in the house and he saw his wife's face, he said, I can't stand any more bad news. No bad news, just good news. She said, fine. She said, uh, that, that'll be fine. Good news only. Uh, you know our four children? Yes. Well, three of them, three of our children didn't have a wreck today. The good news, bad news in an evangelism presentation would be just very simple. Uh, the bad news is we have a great need. We're sinners. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So that's the bad news. And the good news is Christ died for your sins. Christ came to, to atone for your sins, and in him we can be saved. 
Then there's the Romans Road, which is basically you take about five passages from the book of Romans, and it just leads you right through the gospel. Start off with 3.23, all of sin, and then 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And then Romans 5.8, but out of love, uh, while Christ loved us, he died for us so that our sins would be forgiven. And then uh, 5.10-11, and in that, we'll be reconciled. And then, uh, again, Romans 5.1-3, I mean, the justification that comes. We're declared justified by God. Uh, the Campus Crusade has its four laws, and so there's a lot of tracks that you can use that are they're short and very simple to learn that you can use. But without a doubt, the most important tool that you have at your disposal is your personal testimony. And, and I would advise everyone to sit down at some time and, and write out your personal testimony. You know, and it has three parts. And this is very important because people, when they do their testimony, they're really bad about this. The first part is who I was before Christ. Who, you know, you were somebody before Christ. Even if you became a Christian when you were six years old, you were still somebody else before Christ came into your life. So you tell that story about, you know, uh, who you were and all the mistakes you made and, and how messed up your life was or, you know, whatever your story is. That would be my story. Uh, and then secondly, circumstances or events that played a part in your conversion. And then thirdly, uh, the transformation. You know, if Christ is all important, then there's, there certainly must be a difference that he made in your life. And so you want to bring that out. So who I was the circumstances of my conversion, and the difference it made, the transformation in my life. And remember, as, as you do this, try to keep it short. Uh, in, in other classes I've taught, I've had them actually write it out, and, and I've had asked some people to give their testimony, and they all make the same mistake. It becomes a therapy session for them. You know, you go on and on, and then I did this, and I, you know, and I was thinking, and I go, okay, that's your 20 minutes, you know, and you're, you're still on the first part, you know, and because people start talking about themselves, and they just get carried away. So you got to remember, this is not a therapy session. This is who, just very simple, who I was before Christ, and then the circumstances, and then the difference, the change in my life, uh, and why is te your testimony so important? Because the stories about you is irrefutable. I mean, who knows but you? I mean, they can't say, oh, that didn't happen to you. Uh, they wouldn't say that. And then secondly, it's from the heart. It's sincere, and, and people like that. And uh, thirdly, you don't need, you know, a, a theology degree or a Ph.D. or anything. Uh, it's, it's your story and the difference that Christ has made to you. Okay, uh, a great example of that uh, testimony, uh, and if you have your Bible there, turn to, in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4. It's my favorite testimony. Uh, my second favorite is Paul's testimony, you know, the road to Damascus experience. When you think of Paul, before Christ came into his life there on the road to Damascus, what, who was Paul? So this is the first part of his testimony. I used to arrest Christians and have them executed. And then the experience he had on the road where Christ appeared to him and uh, struck him down and blinded him. And then thirdly, when, he, when uh, the 
his sight came back to him in Damascus, uh, he stepped up to give his life to Christ and became Christ's uh, greatest missionary. So that's Paul's uh, testimony. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 was an evil tyrant. He was the king. He was not Jewish. He was the king of Babylon that conquered Jerusalem and destroyed it. And you have his personal testimony in chapter 4. It's incredible. This evil tyrant came to be a believer in the God of Israel and was saved. I mean, if God can save that guy, he can save anybody, right? And so in verse 4, uh, we know it's his testimony because he says so. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and he goes on in verse 1 through 3 to talk about his rejoicing and what the Lord's done for him. And then he tells a story in 427. He has a, uh, first of all, he's lavishing in his palace, you know, in his splendor and all his wealth. And he gets this dream that night. And God lets him see this dream of the, of the tree and and uh, falling down and the whole deal. And uh, so he calls Daniel in, and Daniel explains the vision. He says, God is telling you that you need to repent. You live for yourself, you're selfish, you're evil, uh, and you have neglected, you've rejected him, and now you need to change that or you're going down, and you're going down hard. And so he says, wow, and he believes Daniel, but he really doesn't respond like he should. And so after a while, he forgets it. So jump to verse 28. Here's the, that's the first part. So now in verse 28 is the second part of the story. What were the circumstances that led to his conversion? So Daniel 4, 28, uh, he's 12 months later, verse 29, he's walking on the roof of his palace. And the king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great city which I myself have built. And is this not all of mine? When I used to sell real estate, I was in this guy's office all the time. I'm, I'm kidding. But if you've ever been a salesman of anything, you've been, you know who this guy is. You know, everybody like to talk about themselves and show you all their stuff and how wealthy they are and the whole deal. The arrogance is incredible. Well, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was up... Uh, looking at all my stuff, my royal residence and my admiring my own power and the glory of my majesty. And that's when God struck him down. And long story short, he, he had a mental illness. God gave him a mental illness. He went through seven years of a terrible mental illness uh, at the end of which, so that, that's, the, that's what led to his conversion. So that at the end of which he he gets his senses back, and, and he's humbled, completely humbled, and he turns his life over to God. There at the end of that part of the story. And then verse 37, you can see the difference that God made in his life in verse 37. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, the Lord God of Israel. And so he's, he's obviously radically changed from the most arrogant guy you've ever heard of. Now he's humbled, and he's bowing down before God and praising and exalting and honoring only God. And at the end of verse 37, he says, And God is able to humble those who walk in pride. 
And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. So that's his personal testimony. And uh, obviously, ours would never be that dramatic or that uh, clear. But you want to shape your, yours in the exact same way. And I think it's the best tool that you have uh, in evangelism. How important is evangelism? Well, it's really, you ought to look at it, we ought to look at it as an emergency situation. It's a life or death situation because you have a soul and a spirit that's going to live on after death. And so that's the most important thing from an eternal, an eternal perspective is what happens after this body is buried. And what makes an important decision is, is the uh, consequences of that decision. Today, you, you could have gotten iced tea or water. The consequences are zero. So it was a very unimportant decision. But when you're looking at a decision for Christ, we're talking about all important because it's life or death. Okay, so uh, all people must make that decision to accept or reject Christ. And it's a uh, life or death situation. It really is an emergency. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, you know, I'm not worried if or when God will reach the world for Christ. He's going to do what he's going to do. I'm not worried about the guy next door whether he'll believe or not. But I am concerned whether God will use me in some small, small way to par participate in the blessing. And so Spurgeon recognized that there was a real blessing in getting involved in this evangelism and, and having a part and having God use you to do that was very important to him. Uh, one last testimony that illustrates uh, everything we've talked about today and is from a uh, fairly uh, well-known guy here in this area. He's the pastor of Denton Bible Church, Tommy Nelson. And uh, Tommy uh, started that church up there in, in Denton Bible Church and it's got... I think about 5,000 members, if I'm not mistaken. So he's had a huge impact on, on that area and this area as well. I've heard him speak many times, and I've heard his testimony several times. It's interesting. He was playing football at North Texas State up there. He was a quarterback on the football team. And his senior year at North Texas, he was living in the athletic dorm, and he was rooming with a big lummox offensive lineman, you know, uh, if there's any offensive lineman here, I know that you're not, but this guy was, according to Tommy, okay? Uh, and so uh, this offensive lineman, they were in the room studying or do, doing something, and there was a knock on the door, and it was a Campus Crusade for Christ guy going door to door sharing the four laws. And so the lineman opens the door, and this campus crusade, crusade guy says, mind if I share this with you? And he went, yeah, whatever. And he says, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And the lineman says, uh-huh. But the problem is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh-huh. But God in his love has provided his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Uh-huh. But we must each individually receive Jesus as our Savior. Would you like to do that right now? Nope. Slam. <laughs> and he heard the guy going down the hall. Well, little did he know 
that Tommy Nelson was in that room too. And he was sitting at his desk not far from there, and he heard every word the guy said. And he thought it over, everything the guy had said, and thought, thought it over and thought it over and said, you know what, I would. I want my life to count for something. I want it to have meaning. And what he said is right, and I want to be a part of that. So Tommy Nelson prayed to receive Christ right there in his dorm room, and the rest is history, right? He, he's had a tremendous impact on the world around him. 30 years later, here's the best part of the story. 30 years later, Nelson is at a Campus Crusade conference, and the speaker, guess who, is that kid that was knocking on the doors in the, in the athletic dorm. And the guy's up there, and he's trying to encourage people, you know, to, to do that. And he says, look, I, you know, you're going to have some rejections, and you're going to have to be uh, persistent. And he said, the first time I did it, I knocked on every door of every room in an entire athletic dorm, and not one person believed in Christ. <laughs> and he's looking at an audience like this, and all of a sudden this arm goes up. And it's Tommy Nelson. He said, you're wrong. I was there. I remember you. You're the guy at the door. And they met afterwards, and it was like, wow. Here I, for 30 years, I thought that was a huge waste of time. And, and look what happened. And I can only say, thank you to all the people that you've had influence over, maybe you've shared Christ with or even talked to them about it. And you have no idea how far that's going to go. You planted that seed, and you don't know who's going to water it and fertilize it. Uh, you just have no idea what God's going to do with those contacts that you've made and, and that message that you've passed on about Jesus. And so this one person that in that whole athletic dorm had an incredible impact, and this guy didn't even know about it until years later. And so I would invite you also uh, to, to be like that guy and if even if it looks difficult even if you're have a fear of rejection you step out in faith uh, you tell them what the difference Christ has made in your life and uh, he can do the same for them uh, let me pray and uh, we'll call it a day Lord thank you so much for blessing us with your word and making us ambassadors we don't deserve it but Lord but you have chosen us and given us a stewardship to represent you. And we praise you, Lord, for that opportunity and that privilege. And I pray that each one of us would step out in faith and, and share our Savior with the people around us. And in his name we pray, amen.